Welcome to the Seattle Public Library's podcasts of author readings and library events, a series of readings, performances, lectures, and discussions. Library podcasts are brought to you by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation. To learn more about our programs and podcasts, visit our website at www.spl.org. To learn how you can help the Library Foundation support the Seattle Public Library, go to foundation.spl.org. So thank you all for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed the film. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but the book is always better than the film. I'm not just saying that because I'm a librarian. It, it is a fact. So I hope that you'll all pick up um, Isaac Marion's book, Warm Bodies. It, it, there are quite a number of differences between the book and the film, although I think that the film did a really good job of, um, of staying true to the, to the story. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Isaac Marion. He is a Seattle area native. He began writing in high school. And he self-published three novels before um, an early edition or early version of Warm Bodies was picked up uh, for option for a film. So even before the book was finished, we knew it would be a movie. And then the finished novel was published by Atria. Um, he also wrote the prequel, a prequel to the story, which is called The New Hunger. That's available as an ebook from ZolaBooks.com. And Isaac is currently working on the sequel, and perhaps he'll tell us a bit about that. So everyone, please welcome Isaac Marion. Hi. Not sure which mic to use. I'll use this one. Thanks for sticking around for the boring part. Um, do you have any questions? What inspired me to do something in the zombie genre? Um, it wasn't really that I wanted, that I just set out to do something about zombies. It was more like I thought I had an idea for a story that would work in an interesting way from that perspective. So I kind of, um, it was sort of the other way around where I, I wanted to um, do this certain idea and I thought this would be a great vehicle to to do it because it's, it was kind of a story about, about um, you know, being alive and being human and kind of what, what uh, what it means, and I thought a great way to look at that would be through the eyes of a corpse, and, and then kind of all the fun pop culture stuff wrapped up in that makes it kind of you can explore some deeper ideas while still being fun and interesting. So um, the question was, have I? It's kind of hard to restate. Have I experienced any of the symptoms mentally or? socially of, of sort of being portrayed there. Um, I wouldn't say that I've experienced mental illness in, in, a, in a degree that's diagnosable or anything, but I've definitely, I mean, the character was based on myself in a lot of ways, at least as a, as a, as a younger person, um, kind of times in my life where I've definitely felt like that and difficulty um, relating to people and, and, and fitting in and all those things that I think everyone experiences to some extent, but Obviously, it's much more extreme in this kind of situation. And, and I'm, I have known some people who it's more debilitating for. Um, so I think that it's not really... The, the character of R is, could represent a lot of different things, and I think people can relate to that in different, 
to different degrees from, from people who are just suffering from depression all the way up till to you know more extreme situations. So I'm I'm glad that that you've found that relatable. He asked if the bonies were similar to how I describe them in the book. Um, physically, visually, they're they're fairly close. I describe them as more skeletal, more like dried up bones, and they're a little more a little more fleshy in the movie, but. Um, I think the, the main difference would be in kind of their nature. Um, in the movie, they're pretty much just monsters. They don't really have um, consciousness of any kind. They just kind of chase and kill. And they're not, they, they didn't really have time or, or the desire maybe to, to develop kind of the, the deeper concept behind them, which is more... They're, they're kind of a more sinister kind of evil in the, in the book. They, they talk like telepathically to, to R and other people, and they're kind of this representative of a, of a very static kind of nothing can ever change because they, they're like what happens to the zombies when they lose all their humanity so they don't have, there's, no, there's no traces left, and they're kind of just operating on, on residual programming. So they kind of they have a little society. They repeat all these human rituals like getting married and going to church and just doing all these things but without even speaking or knowing why they're doing it and it's kind of this creepy ghost of, of human society that they have so all of that was a bit too complicated I think for the movie and they kind of just boil it down to these are the, the monsters that we run away from which is disappointing but you know it's, it's movies she asked what, where the, the Romeo and Juliet illusions started um it actually wasn't from the very beginning. I, I didn't really notice that that was happening until I was already kind of deep into planning the story, and then it kind of hit me, oh, shit, this is, this is uh, Romeo and Juliet's arc here. So rather than try to avoid that, I thought it was appropriate, and I just decided to, to roll with it and, and, and then kind of um, acknowledge it more. So there's references, the names, all, almost all the names connect in some way, and like little little moments, but... I never really intended it to be like Romeo and Juliet with zombies. It's more like that's kind of a, a little in-joke, that a little illusion, but not like the central... It's not like a remake of that story. She was asking what five tips for self-publishing. Um, I think I have done... I have technically self-published a lot of stuff, but I think it's sort of a, a slight misrepresentation to say that I, to say that I self-published it because... Those first three books that I that I that I released, I never really made a huge effort to go the self-publishing route. I didn't go to bookstores and do all the 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 self-promotion. I kind of just printed a couple hundred copies and sold them on the website. And and um, I was always doing that with the goal of getting uh, a, a real publisher at some point. So I didn't choose that route really. I was just sort of I was doing that as something, so I'd have something to show for it while I pursued publishers. And I don't know, some people find great success through that route. Um, For me, I I wanted to just, it wasn't the direction I was trying to go, but the advantage of doing that is that you get something when you're done writing it instead of writing with the kind of this far-off dream of maybe someday getting a book deal that may never happen, which is really discouraging. This way, from the moment I finished it, I was like, here's my book, I did it, now I can show it to people, people can read it. And, and to some extent, it actually helped get published because I was marketing it on my website and sending it to people, and that's sort of how it came to the attention of, 
of the people who led to the book deal. So I think if nothing else, self-publishing is a great way just to keep you motivated to finish rather than um, just kind of, it's, it's pretty discouraging to write a whole book thinking no one may ever see this but me. So if nothing else, you can show it to, to your inner circle of people. The short story, I, I didn't write that expecting that it would be anything more. Um, after I released the short story and started getting all the feedback on my website and people were really responding to it, um, and it became kind of my, my first hit story, um, for what that's worth. Uh, it it, it kind of made me take another look at it and, and started to think well, maybe there's more to this than I thought, and, and I started to develop the idea a little more, and then that expanded into the novel, which, um, so at the time that I was writing the novel, there was nothing else going on other than that I had that short story that, that people seemed to like, but it, you know, it wasn't like a, a huge thing. It was just on my little blog, relative, relatively successful. But um, So no, I didn't have any idea that there would be a movie in the works until, until I had finished and was shopping it around to publishers. But I was just hoping to get, get it published at all. And then kind of at the same time that the book deal started developing, a movie deal started developing. So it was like this rapid snowball effect that happened. What's it like to see the ideas come to life? It's, it's a little of both of those things. Um, it, when it first was starting to happen, I, I was, there was a lot more... I, I kind of had to resign myself to letting go of this whole story and just saying, they're going to do whatever they're going to do. I need to be prepared to hate it and to distance myself from it as much as possible. And, and I'll still have my book. You know, it's not going to change anything. And so I was a lot more scared at first because of the fact that the story is such a unusual mixture of, of genres and styles and, and moods and everything. I just I, I had low hopes that they'd be able to pull it off at all because it's. I assumed they would either take it and try to just make it a full-on spoof comedy kind of like airplane kind of thing. It's like, wow, zombies, wacky, you know, it's zombie romance, you know. Which I'm really, to this day, amazed that they didn't do because that with Hollywood's not exactly known for subtlety and nuance with you know the movies they're trying to make hits. So I, I didn't expect them to try to balance those tones at all. I thought they'd just be like slapstick. But as it started to develop more. And I got to see some of the, like, meet the director and kind of listen to his his ideas for what he wanted to do with it and started to realize that they were actually taking it seriously. I got a lot more excited about it, and I got to read some early drafts of the script and um, could see that, you know, as expected, they were re taking it down a few notches, you know, making it a little lighter, a little more comedic, a little e more easily digestible, but it wasn't a travesty, you know, it wasn't, they weren't trying to change it into something completely different. So I got really excited as that was developing, and then I got to go to the set and watch some of it be filmed. And then, um, but yeah, the, the moment where I actually got to go to the screening room and, and watch it for the first time was just terrifying. <laughs> I was sitting there the whole time just gripping my seat, every scene, like, please don't suck, please don't suck. <laughs> and every time they'd get through a scene, I'd have to like pause it and take a breath, okay. I'm not going to have a panic attack for the next scene because I know what's coming up and that's going to be hard to pull off. And, but, yeah, in, in the end, I, I, I think it's a pretty good movie. I, I'm not... Uh, I'm, I'm, here I am talking about it, so obviously I, I don't hate it. And I thought, I thought it's, a pretty, it's a pretty good uh, 
they did a pretty good job with translating it into that different medium. It could have been a lot of different places, but I feel like that was a really interesting setting to put it in because of that reason, because it's normally kind of the most intense, the busiest, the most, like, concentration of all human mess that happens is at the airport. And to kind of take that and flip it on its head, and, and it's, there's still a bunch of people there, but it's like the exact opposite of what living uh, society is like, that it just kind of made an interesting contrast and allowed me to do a lot of little observations and jokes. And and, um, and then kind of at the end, it's, it, there's also a thematic connection that they're they're trying to, to, trying to... I mean, the movie wraps up a bit more tidily than the book does. In the book, it ends kind of like we've just started to address this problem and, and there's a lot of work to do and, and the world is far from, from saved yet so they're kind of like here we're at the airport it's a good place to start with a global problem so it's kind of some, some symbolic relevance there too a lot of people ask you know how, how did this not come up in this story but I don't want to spoil the new hunger for everyone but it she she forgets what happens. It was seven years ago. She's highly traumatized, and when when you see her warm bodies, she's in a very different place. And so things that happen in that don't come up until later, and they're, it's, it's not going to be pretty when she remembers what's going on. So Nora's probably the the most changed out of all the characters, physically and character wise. I mean, she's still kind of she's funny and sassy in the book, but but. She's much she's, in the book. She's supposed to be older than Julie. She's kind of more tough, and um, and in the book, she's half Ethiopian. Obviously, not there at all. Um, and you know, they in my, in my mind, it's kind of a different character. They use the same name, but they just the way that they were changing everything so much, they didn't really have room for another well-developed best friend character. And they already kind of did it with with M, who more well-developed than most best friend characters. So that one is, yeah, it's kind of it's kind of a sore point for me. I wish that they would have not gone as far different, but, you know, it. I've learned to, to live with it. Have I been asked to make the sequel to a movie? Um, no, well, I didn't have any direct involvement making the movie. They, do you, if you mean, have they asked if... if um, if they can make a sequel in the movie, uh, sort of indirectly, I've talked to people that are involved with the movie, and they're they're curious what I'm doing. I haven't had anyone directly come up to me and say, "We want to do a movie, write it," um, but they know that I'm writing the sequel, and they're interested in, in it. And from what I've been told, I mean, the movie did pretty well, so they're they're they have, if it's they want they'll want to do a sequel if they they can and even if they don't like the book maybe they'll change it into something completely different and do it anyway so <laughs> we'll see <laughs> do I feel any different uh, do I feel any pressure to write the book more like the movie I don't feel no one no one's telling me or asking me to do that it, it is a little bit of a challenge to separate myself from that it just in my head because I've seen the movie so many times now and like all, all of the media that exists about the book uses imagery from the movie. You know, they show anything, fan art and everything. They show R, it's Nicholas Holt. It's not, he's not wearing a suit and tie. He's not, you know, it's a totally different visuals on the characters and, and um, you know, events happen differently too. I mean, as far as the plot, it's 
fairly close in the movie. It really doesn't deviate too far until the end, which ends quite differently. But at the point that the sequel is starting, it's it's not in that much of a different place. So the main challenge is just to not be too influenced by by the the imagery and not to not to veer off track from what I started in that. It's not that I have am tempted to to make it like that. It's more like it's just kind of subconscious and hard to make sure I'm still writing the book version. This podcast was presented by the Seattle Public Library and Foundation and made possible by your contributions to the Seattle Public Library Foundation. Thanks for listening.